Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably know that Athletic Brewing Company is my absolute favorite non-alcoholic beer. For me, finding an incredible non-alcoholic beer to drink around the fire pit or at a dinner was a game changer in sobriety. And I love Athletic so much that I became a brand ambassador so that I could share the love. You can save 20% with code KCD20 on your first order of Athletic at their website. Now, they are not sponsoring this ad, but I wanted to share this discount if you wanted to try it out. So my personal favorites are their Golden Upside Dawn and their Run Wild IPA, but I want to hear what your favorites are. Just go to Athletic brewing.com and enter the code KCD20 at checkout. That's C-A-S-E-Y-D-2-0 and you'll save 20% on your first order. Hey there, today we are talking about motivational psychology and how you can use motivational psychology to change your drinking habits. I am really excited because my guest today is Andy Ramage. He's one of the world's top qualified coaches holding a master's degree at distinction in positive psychology and coaching psychology and has applied for a PhD to start later this year. Andy is also a master practitioner of NLP and qualified mindfulness-based awareness coach. Andy has published two best-selling books, The 28-Day Alcohol-Free Challenge and Let's Do This, How to Use Motivational Psychology to Change Your Life. Andy's often cited as the world's number one alcohol-free performance coach, having co-founded both the One Year No Beer movement and more recently, the Dry Alcohol-Free app and community. He also spends most of his time training the next wave of coaches on his accredited diploma in positive psychology and trains existing coaches in the specialism of alcohol-free coaching. More than that, Andy is just the nicest guy. I've loved getting to know him and he is so much 
great stuff to teach us. So Andy, welcome to the pod. Welcome. That was an intro. I know, but it was great. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, I'm thrilled to be here. You know how much I love this space. I've been around it for almost 10 years now, and it's just lovely to see the success of the podcast, and I love everything you're doing. So yeah, delighted to be a part and honored to be a part of the show today. Yeah, I love your approach. I love how it incorporates psychology plus coaching plus habit change. And I think the women listening to this podcast are going to get a lot out of it in terms of new tools, new ideas, new approaches that they can use to change their relationship with alcohol or stop drinking completely. Fabulous. Yeah. And I think all of this boils back down to behavioral change, isn't it? Really? I think for those in the middle lane, before we even get into it, we spoke about this off air, that was me, someone that would drink averagely, heavily, sometimes not at all, sometimes moderately, which is probably about 70% of the adult population. In that space, really, it's about behavioral change. So a lot of the tools and techniques in the book, really, you could apply to anything, let alone alcohol. It could be to your nutrition. It could be to exercise. So I think that's what's great about this space. You learn a set of skills that you can apply to one area, and it's the same set of skills you can apply to your nutrition and your movement. And I think it makes it even more powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you mentioned you were sort of in that middle lane. I sort of think of gray area drinking. Will you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to stop drinking? And was it 10 years ago now? Yeah, I mean, and it started prior to that. It started probably two years prior to that, so probably 12 years ago. Actually, what happened is the truth of it, I was, my backstory, I was a professional footballer. I got injured when I was 19, unfortunately, and my dream was taken away from me, although I had a relative amount of success. I absolutely loved it. I found myself traveling the world and then in the busy trading pits of like the London Stock Exchanges, effectively. And I loved that environment too. It was electric, it was fast paced, it was incredibly boozy, as you can imagine, really social type of industry. And fast forward 10 years after that, I put on free stone in weight and, you know, I was unf- terribly unfit, unhealthy, doing everything that I shouldn't be doing, drinking too much, like everyone else. Was it problematic to the point of rock bottom or addiction or any of those things? Absolutely not. I don't identify with any of those things, but I was in that middle lane. I was drinking too much, but who isn't? Is the yeah. truth of it. Who isn't drinking too much? Pretty much everyone is drinking too much. So that was me. And I think it was a moment of reflection in that space that I actually started to figure out, hold on a minute. I looked around at those other people that were quote unquote more successful than me in my industry, and they're all struggling, unfit, overweight, broken homes, broken bodies, broken minds. And I just thought, I don't aspire to any of that. And by fluke, I read this book by a guy called Anthony Robbins. I'm sure many of you will be familiar. Big red book. And I didn't think I needed that book because I was the super duper broken guy. Why did I need self-development or I didn't need any of that stuff? And it sat on my bedside table for months on end. I don't even know where it got there. It was, it ended up being a bit of a gift from heavens above or whatever way you want to dress it up because I picked up that book one day out of desperation because I was so bored and meh and just plateauing in life. And it genuinely started to change my life. And in there, I read about Anthony Robinson trained with this guy called John Grinder, who was the co-founder of NLP. And I thought, imagine if I could go and train with that guy. And I Googled it and there was an opportunity to train with him. So I invested in it, took the time off work. I had no idea what I was going to do with this thing, trained to be a coach. I wasn't going to do anything. I just wanted to see how my mind worked. And it fundamentally, it sounds like over the top, transformed my life. It was learning the skills to help other people reach their full potential that ultimately helped me unlock mine because all that learning is filtered through you first 
That was yeah. the core bit, all the tools, all the techniques. So I started to apply them to myself, to my thinking. I ended up losing the weight. I then learned all these new cool skills to actually start looking at all the other areas of my life. And the big thing that jumped out at me was alcohol. It was like this elephant in the room. Like so many people, it's a blind spot, isn't it? Alcohol. Like I was guilty. I was running around trying to exercise, couldn't get consistent, trying to eat nice nutritional food, couldn't get consistent in that, trying to meditate. I was too anxious to meditate. I was trying to do all of these things apart from addressing the whopping great obvious thing that I can see so clearly now, but I couldn't see at the time, which was alcohol. So I owe it to that coach training program in many ways that gave me the introspection and the awareness to think, hold on a minute, wonder is it this alcohol thing? And then I tried to stop it. And I found it really difficult. Not again, because there was a physical problem. I had a social problem with it. I was a broker. I'd identified and I built my identity around being that guy, the larger than life, sort of big drinking party guy. You want some fun. You make a call. I'm going to take you out and I'm going to entertain you. And that's how I built my business in my mind. It's how I met my wife in my mind, my best friend. So the thought of challenging that persona that I built around alcohol is so incredibly scary. I thought genuinely, I was fearful, was my wife going to just run off with the really super cool postman that has a couple of drinks? She's banned me from saying that on podcasts in case the postman ever listens. <laughs> it's like, these- why the postman? <laughs> I know. She went, sooner or later, the postman's going to listen to this podcast and think, aye, aye. I have got a, chance, I got a shot, yeah. man. Yeah, I got a shot. I think that's so interesting because so many of us, even if we're not the larger than life X star who is a broker, feels like so much of our identity, so many of our relationships are tied to drinking. I mean, we hang out with other drinkers. I literally described myself to people, oh, I'm a red wine girl, as in, I live in Seattle. I work in corporate marketing. I'm married. I'm a red wine girl. I have two kids. Like it was a fundamental part of who I thought I was. And I talked to so many women who've been drinking since, you know, high school, college who were like, I don't even know who I am if I'm not this person. And that's what you were describing. But before we jump in, just because you're from the UK, former professional footballer, that's professional soccer, correct? Okay, yes. Okay, yeah. three stone. Do you know how many pounds that is? It's 42 pounds. All right, perfect. And NLP, I know what it is, but if someone doesn't know? It's neuro-linguistic programming. It's like a user manual for your brain, so this co- a coaching tool and technique. Very cool. All right, I'm going to let you go. I just was like, I got to translate it for we've got, got a trans, we've got, yeah, exactly. From the UK to the US. Yes. So yeah, here I was having this experience. Actually, my number one fear, and I actually joke about this, but it's so true because my identity, like you described brilliantly, is so true, so wrapped up in alcohol. My number one fear was how the hell, if I stop drinking, am I going to dance at weddings? <laughs> I was like, that's impossible. Like a middle-aged, like ginger guy. The like, have- like white men's overbite, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, that can't happen, right? <laughs> What's, my body won't move. And these ridiculous fears now were incredibly powerful. And they stopped me from stopping in many ways. You know, the first sign of a client calling me boring. And I'd crumble because at that stage, it was like an attack on me personally. And I didn't understand that underneath authentically me was way more powerful than this, again, in some ways, a fake persona that I'd created. Because when actually 
stopped drinking and found the courage, I realized I was a very different person underneath. I wasn't that guy. And I'd been confused about that for years. I remember genuinely being confused where I'd be that guy the night before. And if let's say we were on a stopover on a business trip and I'd meet the clients the next day and they'd be almost, you know, he's that crazy guy. And I wouldn't be that crazy guy. I'd be quite introverted and quite sort of shy almost. And all I wanted to do was read books and spend time with my family. And I remember almost sort of scratching my head at the times thinking, where has that guy gone? But the ridiculous thing is I never put two and two together. I never thought, oh, it's the alcohol that's creating that. It's this cultural blind spot as I described. So there was a real, like a sense of loss in many ways. That is so hard to overcome. I think that's a lot of the work that I do now out front is to encourage people that underneath, there's a beautiful, and if I can tell it quickly, that it won't take long. Have you heard the story of the Golden Buddha? No. Golden Buddha is such a beautiful story. I think many of your listeners might identify with this. The Golden Buddha, there was a Golden Buddha. This is many thousands of years ago in this lovely Himalayan village and they would pray at the feet of the golden Buddha. It was the focal point of the whole village where they would come to connect, to communicate, to pray, to meditate. And then they got wind of a marauding tribe was ransacking all the local villages. So the villagers got together and said, we haven't got time to flee. What will we do? They're going to take away our golden Buddha. And then one of the villagers came up with a great idea and said, let's clad it in clay and make it look like an old concrete decrepit statue and when the marauders come through they might ransack the village but they won't take our golden buddha and of course they covered it and it looked like this old concrete statue the marauders came through the village and they ransacked the villages they thought they might and they looked upon the golden buddha that was covered in clay and they thought it was an old decrepit statue and they let it be and then many years passed and the villager changed hands many times over and people forgot about the golden buddha and got to know this decrepit old statue. And then one day, one of the villagers was sitting at the feet of the old decrepit statue in his eyes. And all of a sudden, a little piece of the clay fell away. And he saw this shining light. And he looked inside and peeled away another bit and saw that it was gold. And he peeled away more of it. And he realized it was gold. And he ran back to the villagers and said, the Buddha's golden. The Buddha's golden. And I just think that's such a beautiful metaphor for many of us adults, isn't it? We clad ourselves in this psychological sort of armor. We create these personas based on alcohol, many of us, and we become this, I think, decrepit gray version yeah. of us. But underneath, we are golden. We are so beautiful. It doesn't matter whether that's extrovert. It doesn't matter what's underneath. That authentic self, I think, is the greatest discovery of this alcohol-free adventure, becoming who you are, stepping into your power, as a person. So that was the journey that I went on. And it was just for me, transformational across every area from my relationships to my health, to my career, to my business. And I just wanted to share that with people. And that's yeah. sort of what led me on this adventure in many ways. I love that because also we have so many fears about giving up alcohol, like you said. I mean, everything from like, People are worried, like, will my husband even like me that, you know, he's my drinking buddy. He doesn't want me to stop drinking. Will I be fun? Will I ever be able to go out again to a concert or a bar or on vacation? Or will I sit there like desperately wanting to dive across the table and grab the bottle of wine? And the truth is, yes, you're going to be an amazing person. Like you said, like the golden Buddha, you're going to be truer to yourself, but also like, drinking is pretty fucking boring. Like I used to drink on my couch on a Tuesday night watching shows I wouldn't really remember. Sometimes 
fall asleep. You know, I'm putting air quotes. I would pass out on the couch. My husband couldn't wake me up. I would wake up in the morning irritated, like physically ill, avoiding people's eyes. Like, that's pretty goddamn boring to do every fucking night of your life. <laughs> yeah. And that is such a brilliant description because, uh, again, I often have to talk to people around this because the boring tag, for me, that's all a drink has got left. That's all they've got left. They can't argue. They, they've got no other argument to make. Can't talk about science. Can't talk about alcohol being good for you. They can't say that it makes you confident. And in my example, because I lost the weight, I looked so much healthier, so much better. So no one could actually say to me, it, "This thing, whatever you're doing, is not working." Everyone was saying the opposite. It looks incredible, but people would still use that boring tag. That was like all they've got left in the locker. And then I reflected on that exactly as you've done. I thought, what is actually boring? What is boring for me? And I thought, well, boring for me is repeating yourself. Boring for me is getting over emotional. Boring for me is being sort of slightly anxious the following day that I can't be asked to go and do things with the kids. Boring for me is not bothering to exercise because I just can't be bothered. Boring for me is eating rubbish food. Boring for me is staying still for six or eight hours in a pub, for example, talking about the same thing. Like yeah. for me, that's the most boring thing. And then I flip that to what's exciting for me. What's exciting for me is connecting with people in different ways, showing up as myself, getting up the next day and getting out and hiking and biking and moving my body and eating really well and learning the skills of resilience again and confidence. That's exciting for me, doing new things, taking new adventures. That's exciting for me. And then when I compared the two, it was so obvious that the thing that people were boring me off about was the most, in my opinion, the most boring thing you could possibly do. And that's what takes a lot of courage. And I think that's why these podcasts and what you do is so important for people to hear this message. Because if you don't hear it, you're running around thinking, oh, maybe I'm like boring. You almost believe the nonsense. Whereas it's for us to say, no, think about it, reflect upon it, what's boring for you. And it will give you all the answers you need. Yeah. And I'll tell you a real great way to solve that conundrum. Go, and I say that this is the truth for me. Go and spend the night with a group that are drinking and don't drink and sit with them. Not through the first two or three, because everyone's on about the same wavelength, but stay there for the whole night and genuinely sit there and think, are they having fun? One, they're not. And are they really excited? Are they a better version of themselves after those few drinks? A hundred percent of the time, it's a no. What are we doing? This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When I decided to stop drinking, therapy was a big part of my sober toolbox. It wasn't just about saying no to opening a bottle of wine. Once I stopped drinking, I had to deal with everything in my life that alcohol helped me push down. And with my therapist, I was able to better understand how my relationships with my husband and kids, my bosses and friends needed to shift to support my sobriety. If you're thinking of starting therapy as part of your journey, BetterHelp is the way to go. It's all online. It's convenient and flexible. It's tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. Therapy can help you become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday and score 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. Yeah. I mean, I had a client who went to 
sort of a barbecue dinner party the other night with a friend of her husband. And she said the host was just super drunk by, you know, two thirds of the way through and was just pressuring her to drink while also slurring his words and repeating himself. And she would, I was like, aren't you glad you weren't that guy? Yeah. And she's like, yes. You know, looking at it through non-drinking eyes, he was not inspiring. He was not cool. It was slight. He, she, she literally was like, they were 48 years old and fucking doing shots. Like, really? <laughs> like, really? You know, like, you've got little, like, you're not quite as cool as you were in college doing that. You know, and for me, I remember like, Obviously not every night, but after at a fancy resort with my husband and kids in Arizona, waking up in the middle of the night, going to the bathroom, turning on the sink, trying to let my family not hear my me and on my knees, throwing up red wine at the age yeah. of 38. I was like, yeah, this is so sophisticated, you know, this like is this is fun. awesome. <laughs> and it is that awareness because I think that's what we both have to own. We were there. And we didn't mm-hmm. see it. We didn't see it. And for whatever reason, both of us, you know, ended up on this pathway. And I think that's why the messaging now is really important for people to hear it from people like us and go, Oh, actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah. What am I doing? Is it really adding the value that I think it does? And the truth is the only time it appears to be fun is when you're intoxicated and under the influence of the drug yourself. Yes. So it's this massive lie that's going like my favorite lie that I always pull people on is the, it was a great night lie. Like if you took a poll of people that go out and get drunk together, and I was totally guilty of this, 100% of the time I had a great night. It didn't matter how shit it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a great night. If someone WhatsApps the next day and says, great night, everyone without exception goes, great oh my God, that night. Was and we're all in pieces. We're all dying. We've all got in trouble at home. We've phoned in sick to work. We've got anxiety. We don't want to do it. Oh, great. Like literally typing away on our little phones. Great night. Like we're all like in this lie, this total pretense. Or maybe you just don't remember it. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like, I want to say it was a shite night. I don't remember how I got home. It was absolute rubbish. We all talked complete bollocks for two, three, four hours. I've just upset my loved one. I'm not going to work. I'm going to be rubbish. Like if anyone actually told the truth on those WhatsApp messages, it would be a different story. But this feeds this cultural blind spot that we have. Like it it fast. Now I can see it. I can't unsee it. It's fascinating to watch the levels of delusion that are going on in people's lives. Yeah. Well, so talk to me about positive psychology. Like, what is it? How do you do it? Like, what is the motivational playwork for personal change? Yeah. So positive psychology was a movement, a scientific movement started around the year 2000 by a guy called Martin Seligman. And what was really interesting about that, Martin Seligman was the head of the American Psychological Association, which is the biggest job in psychology over in the U.S., But psychology's original roots, if you go back hundreds of years, was not just to heal the sick, it was to nurture talent and inspire thriving individuals and communities. And what happened after successive world wars, all the focus was on the healing the sick, the mentally sick, effectively, taking the minus tens to minus fives to minus fives to noughts. And Seligman came along and said, we've forgotten our roots here. There was a whole branch of original psychology that was about nurturing talent what about we try and get the noughts to plus fives and the plus to plus fives to plus eights and to tens. And that opened up this beautiful world of positive psychology, which is empirical. It's science-based. It's the brightest minds in the land have flocked to it over the last 20 odd years to create scientifically proven interventions to help people thrive and communities 
thrive. And I absolutely love it. So I went away and did my degrees and master's degrees in that area because I wanted that science. I wanted that validation. And in learning a lot of those skills and techniques, it totally aligned with everything I believe around alcohol-free. Because I think in some ways, if you think about alcohol on a similar level, all of our attention has been in the addiction space to heal the sick effectively. And that's wonderful work and it needs to be done in the same way that all most of the attention was focused on hitting the psychologically sick, whilst completely ignoring this whopping great big group, which is the middle lane group, where there was nothing for the middle lane. It was either we're in here, we're doing a bit of triage because you've reached a certain point. But if you're not there, like why are you not drinking? That would make no sense to stop drinking. So that's what's been really beautiful for me to see over the last 10 years, that space evolve as the alcohol-free movement has in some ways followed suit with positive psychology and said, actually, what about the whopping great big middle lane, which is the bulk of the adult population who are underperforming, who are suffering a bit because of this alcohol thing, and they haven't even picked up on it. What can we do for them? I think that's what's really exciting for me. Yeah, I totally agree. And so, okay, I have to ask you because my husband's in a school and there is some like backlash now with you do things and they're like, oh my God, that's toxic positivity. Like what's your response to that? Or have you heard that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's that, I I always call it a bit happy clappy. I don't know why, (laughs) but it's not, it's skillful. I always use the word skillful. I really like that word. It's skillful positivity and positive psychology, by the way, embraces the negative and the positive, all emotions, because they've all got benefits. It's not positive thinking. Positive thinking is it's amazing. No matter what's going on in your life, let's sort of smile through it and break okay, through so it. It's not positive that. psychology is not positive thinking. No, it's not that at okay, that's all. Cool. Yeah, it's very much, again, more science-based on really how we manage our minds, our emotions. Gratitude, for example, is a huge part of positive psychology. Mindfulness is a big part of positive psychology. Exercise, nutrition falls under that bracket. And on that, as an aside, you mentioned about the PhD. What I would love to do, because I'm really passionate about this, is actually have a break from alcohol as one of those positive psychology interventions because Uh positive positive psychology interventions are all about boosting well-being for individuals and communities. I'm like, well, hold on a minute. That thing over there, I know it is because I've been involved in it for 10 years, will get people incredible results. So why don't we prescribe a break from alcohol to our middle lane drinkers? Take a break. Oh, I'm feeling a bit anxious. Why don't you try taking a break from alcohol? See if that helps. My relationships are suffering a bit. Why don't you try taking a break from alcohol? See if that helps. I'm, I haven't got the energy to exercise. Why don't you try taking a break from alcohol? Oh my I'm God. Like, well. I can go keep doctors, going on. And even if they don't say they drink too much, when someone says, I have anxiety or I'm not sleeping well or XYZ, I always like now seeing things clearly, like you said, I'm like, take a 30 day break from alcohol. See how that impacts you before. Now, when I was drinking, because I was so attached to it and I was a daily drinker, I would have been like, fuck no, screw you, give me Ambien, give me, you know, an antidepressant. But hopefully that's shifting. And the more you talk to people earlier in their drinking, they might try it, or at least it's in the back of their mind as opposed to, I mean, I would drink a bottle of wine and take a fucking Ambien to not, you know, wake up at 3 a.m. Exactly. That's the disconnect that is still there. I mean, it's changing, but it's still there that we might go to a a doctor about our sleep and they don't even mention alcohol yeah. quite happily to prescribe something off you go while still coughing 
Vino Calypso every night and wondering why it doesn't seem to be working. Because well, and they we know may not genuinely be aware, which is also yeah. really sad. Yeah, and that's the, that's I think where this is so important is that awareness, isn't it? Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then at least, yes. as you said, it's in the back of your mind. Oh, look, I'll take the medication, but well, maybe I'll try the alcohol thing. I didn't even realize that alcohol. I most people think alcohol helps them sleep. But actually, the science shows that what it does, it prevents us getting into that deep REM sleep. Therefore, we don't feel replenished and recovered. Therefore, we're always a bit tired. And there's so much science about productivity and motivation if you're struggling with your sleep. The, the first thing, but it, I mean, this is the amazing thing. It's not just sleep. It's relationships. It's work performance. It's motivation. It's productivity. It's nutrition. You know, ask most people, what is the number one thing that upsets or completely destroys their nutritional strategy it's alcohol. Yeah. It's the hangovers. What's the number one thing that prevents people getting consistent in their exercise? It's alcohol. What's the number one thing that, that makes people inconsistent in the workplace? Alcohol. Inconsistent in their relationships? Alcohol. I mean, it's completely, this is why I love it so much. It's such a massive opportunity for people to optimize their health and their well-being by not doing that thing yeah. that they've been doing for all these years. Yeah. Well, so how are, you know, I know in your books, in Let's Do This, you talk about it's this motivational masterclass for new levels of sex success and tapping into the six streams of positivity. So what are those, the six streams? So the foundational six skills, six streams are, again, those real core things such as nutrition, sleep, movement, uh, quiet time, which is like meditation, connection which is so incredibly important connection with others and of course alcohol free or removing alcohol and if you look at most pillars or well-being strategies go and look all over the world go and look at all the influencers the people that are specialists in all these area i guarantee almost none of them mention alcohol they just don't they'll have sleep and they'll have nutrition they'll have movement they might have connection they might have quiet time meditation but they won't have alcohol. It's not in there. So my sort of foundational six skills are, let's look at those, score yourself one to 10. And then what's beautiful about those six skills that I find, they're the rising tide that lifts all boats. Yeah. But the number one, and this is my focus, is alcohol. If you remove that tactically, it is the rising tide that's going to lift all others. Your sleep will improve. So if you're taking a break from alcohol and your sleep's improved, you're much more likely to eat healthily. You're much more likely, if you're not drinking and you're sleeping better to eat better. And if you're eating better, you're much more likely to have the energy to want to run. And you're much more likely to have the headspace and the clarity to potentially meditate or read. And then in that space, you're much more energized and upbeat and positive. When we're in a more positive frame of mind, we're much more likely to want to connect to others. So that's like the foundational grounding point for me. If we can optimize those things as best we can, no one's perfect, by the way. Although alcohol is one of those things, I think if you can remove it fully, it gives you that 10 out of 10 great start. But I think that's the grounding of a healthy, vibrant lifestyle. And from there, then you're just layering on the good stuff. That moves you from maybe a five out of 10 in terms of how you feel in life to a six or a seven. What a beautiful place to start. And it's really simple. Yeah. And I always, you know, I work with clients one-on-one who've been trying to moderate and failing and need that extra support. But, you know, obviously, in our first sort of debrief kickoff, we talk about triggers and what's going on in their lives and what they want to shift. And lots of them are like, my relationship with my husband, or my boss is a nightmare, or I need to quit my job, or, you know, I hate the way I look, I want to lose 40 pounds. And 
my first advice to them is just remove the alcohol first so you can see things clearly, so you can stop self-sabotaging, so you can raise your level of confidence and optimism, and then you will have the clarity, the energy, the emotional stability, you mentioned that, to shift your relationship with your spouse or look clearly at work. You'll probably find that you perform better and it's less stressful. You may then want to change things. But until you remove sort of the drinking and the hangovers and the, you know, the anxiety from it, you can't actually make progress in other areas of your life. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it and when it fits into your schedule. You don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com 
You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah, I'm smiling the whole way through this because over the years, I've trained lots of coaches and I train coaches now in the alcohol free specialism because almost all of my success as a coach has come from this secret thing, which is basically if you want to train with me, invariably part of that, as long as it's safe to do so, is that you're going to take a break from alcohol. But it's been like this super coaching power that I've had for all of these years because no one else was doing it particularly because they were again busily focused on all the other stuff and i'm like no let's just start there if you want to train with me we're going to take a break from that but that's like one of the foundational things we're going to do and that alone i could almost do nothing else yes. i know they're going to be less anxious they're going to be happier they're going to be healthier they're going to be more consistent and it's like this miracle they come back to me and go this is amazing i'm getting results i've never got before and i'm sort of smiling to myself they think it's some super duper coaching skills that I've got and actually it's the foundational fundamental thing which is to remove alcohol it's this is why I do you know for 10 years I've been banging on about this and I'll be banging on about it for the next 10 or 20 until this gets in the place where I think most people have decided actually that I'm going to leave it or tactically take it away because I love it it's such a gift for people it changes lives for high achieve I work with high achieving women I know a lot of women who listen to this who have like the endless to-do list. They're doing all the things. They're keeping all the balls in the air. And obviously, if they are listening to this podcast or they come to a sober coach or are following you, alcohol is a presenting problem. Like they have some awareness that it is not helping their life be better. They've, they're realizing that they think they need to remove it or they're considering it. And yet they're finding it hard. But once, you know, like you were saying, I feel like these women who are doing all the things, they're trying to run a marathon with this like ball and chain tied to their ankle. And you get rid of that. And suddenly they're like, my life isn't as hard. I'm happier. I have time and energy to do more than I thought of. Or for God's sakes, I have time to rest. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like less that like, any new thing is going to be the straw that breaks me. But I know from my own experience, a lot of us know that removing alcohol is something that would probably improve our life. Most people don't want to do it. They want to like moderate or drink like a normal person. But obviously, it's difficult to do that, or we all would have done it, right? We're like, yeah, remove alcohol, nutrition, workout. So What about that before you stop drinking and then those like first week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, like how do you help people move through that? Yeah, I think first and foremost is a tactical break or a break of some sort as opposed to a forever thing. Yeah. Because that instantly overwhelms people. It's like that's too much for people to comprehend because the secret behind that is that it might just be a week or it might be two weeks or it might be three weeks or a month that you start with. And then I look at it, and I write about this in the book, this streaking with a difference. And what I mean by that is people come up, I've noticed, become really obsessed with their day count. Yeah. Two or day six. And then if it goes wrong, it's like, oh, I've ruined it. I've failed again. I give up. I'm, you know, snakes and ladders. I'm all the way back to zero again. And I start again. And I take the total opposite approach. You know, it's that percentage over the month. Let's say I'm going to take a tactical break for a month. And maybe I've been drinking every other day or a couple of times a week or every day. 
What does that look like at the end of the month? What does that total look like? And it might be a vast difference from where you were the month before. That's incredible, right? You've learned loads of new skills and tools and techniques. You're getting an experience of what it's like to not have alcohol in your system. You're probably starting to notice some of those wins because for me, the whole idea really is to build up this mindset that actually there's nothing to give up. What am I giving up? I'm giving nothing up here. I'm just gaining better time, better sleep. Relationships are better. I'm less grumpy. I'm less snappy. I can rest and recover like you described. I don't have to be perfect all the time. You know, I've got more mental clarity. So it's about gifting people that experience. And I think you do this really well as well. It's actually taking the pressure off a little bit about being perfect. Females in particular, and, and this is a massive generalization. I can only go off what I see are perfectionists. And we can't drop the form. We've got to be the perfect mother, wife, whatever your setup is. Brilliant at business. We've got to do, like, women have to do it all. And then we've got to do this thing that is alcohol that's like a ball and chain around the neck and rum barrel and all that stuff. And I've got to be perfect at everything. I can't possibly ever be seen to make a mistake at anything. Otherwise the game's up and everyone's going to know I'm not perfect. So it's really actually trying to take away some of that pressure. No one's perfect. You're beautifully, perfectly imperfect. Slip ups or things going wrong. This is like the first early lesson. It's part of the learning process. The truth of it, for most people, that is part of the learning process. Of course, the idea is they don't happen. If they do so what? I give it a load of credibility it doesn't deserve. It's just an opportunity to learn. This is beautiful growth mindset. I don't know if you've heard of Carol Dweck. Have you heard of Carol Dweck? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Isn't it beautiful? And I think that's the journey that we end up going on, really, towards a growth mindset. So just to explain that, you've got a fixed mindset, which is very rigid and very perfection-orientated. Almost you're fixed at birth. You're dumb or you're smart. And then you've got the growth mindset all the way at the other end of the scale, which is life's about learning, right? You learn more by getting it wrong than you do by getting it right. And that's such a beautiful truth. It removes that shackles of perfectionism. Go for it. Make mistakes. Enjoy them. Learn from them. And I think that's part of the process of changing any behavior. And we can look at the science of Petraska, who's got one of the most famous models of change, which is called the stages of change model. At first blush, it looks like this perfect circle, which goes from contemplation to action and maintenance. And you think, oh, we just go perfectly around that loop once you've made a rational choice to change. But if you look behind at the research and the science, you'll see that on average, it takes people about five to six times around that loop, i.e. there's a slip up in there, there's an error in there, and they relearn and they go back around again. So it's a corkscrew of change. It's not this fixed, perfect circle. And I think once you start to lighten that load, it becomes much easier, this whole thing. Because it's like, I'm just going to go for it. And if there's slip-ups in there, I'll learn from them. I'll dust myself off and I'll come back stronger. And then over time, you get into that place where maybe your streak goes from a week to two weeks to three weeks to four. And that's exactly what happened to me. I got to four weeks and I went, oh, I think I've got this. I'm feeling the real advantage of this. I feel better than I've ever felt. I don't care that my boss at the time was saying, if you stay non-drinking, your career's finished. Seriously, like, your boss seriously, he clearly boss. had his own issues with alcohol yeah, or attack. Two bottles of wine a day, two bottles of wine every single night. That was at lunch. That was just warm-ups. In, in, oh you know, that was God. the it was, it, it, crazy. But he was the guy, he was my hero, turned around to me about a month in and said, if you continue on this path, you're finished. Who's going to want to go out with a broker that doesn't drink? But this is back to that point, because I'd had the lived experience at yeah. that stage of feeling better, that was too powerful. I was like, no, no, I know what you're saying, but I think I'm onto something here. I need this for me. I'm going to continue. So I got there. 
in the end, through just releasing myself from those shackles of perfection. And then it took me a few goes, like I described. There was weeks and then two weeks and then three weeks, learning each time, getting stronger each time, more confident each time. And then, boom, it happened. And that was nine and, yeah, a few months. Okay, so I have to ask you because I'm curious. Did you inspire him to make any changes or was he like so deep? He was like, oh, my God, forget this. Yeah, that was the way he was built. Do you know what? I'd love to think because we parted ways. I left that firm to set up a rival firm in the end. And that was one of the major reasons that I did so then in the broken world you're sort of dead to them if you go to a rubber firm oh, so he's yeah. never spoken to me since but he, you know I'd love to spend time but I'd like to believe that he's still around that yeah. actually maybe he does drink a little bit less because of and I also know that someone else in his world I have inspired someone directly in his world I have inspired to not drink who's with him a lot so yeah it's even though maybe not him I think he's still had a positive influence you know what's crazy so I clearly when I stopped drinking I had been worried about my drinking for a while I never talked to anyone about it but I you know woke up with that doom and I was like oh shit you know I gotta get a handle on this because you know this is not cool this is a problem but I don't want to stop drinking so when I stopped drinking I hired a sober coach I didn't tell anyone including my husband that I had done that. And like you, I just started like 100 day challenge. Okay, how the hell do I get through day two and day three or whatever. But I got to 100 days. And, you know, I looked so much better. I was so much happier. I was just and so my boss who was kind of a total bitch and really harsh, like came to me and was like, Oh, by the way, I'm doing a 28 break too from alcohol because you totally inspired me and I'm on day 14. And it just cracked me up because I was like, if you knew how much went into this for me, but she was just looking externally and was like, whoa, I want to do what she's doing. You look good. I'll have some of that. And that's, I think, the beautiful thing about what we do is that lots of people, and you mentioned it earlier, will reach out to me and say, I've got a friend, I've got a family member, I've got a colleague, I'm worried about them, what should I do? And my response is always the same. It's like, are you alcohol-free yourself? If it's safe for you to do so, take a break, show them, live it, love it, show up and be part of their life, not drinking, let your skin glow, let your body look fitter, be healthier, be more confident, learn all those skills. That's the, for me, that's the best thing you could ever do. And show them that your life doesn't end and that you can still socialize and do all the things and be the same person without it. Yeah, Gandhi said it, be the change you want to see in the world. And I think it's so true. Don't tell them, show them. I think it's a really powerful thing to do. And then equally, a lot of people are like, well, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, okay, but I think personally, that's the best thing you could do for your loved one, colleague, friend, is show up and show them the way. Because that's what I see continually. Lives get changed as that ripples out. And actually, I I talked about this in the book, which is interesting. Nicholas Christakis did some incredible research around a Framingham heart study, which was not designed about behavioral change. It was a heart study, but it covered hundreds of thousands of people in the US and all of their networks. And he got hold of this and was able to trace, because it was really detailed, how habits and emotions spread through networks. It's unbelievable. If I remember the stats correctly, it was talking about obesity. So if someone in your immediate network put weight on, you were about 45% more likely to put on weight yourself, which is pretty incredible. But it went a step further. If someone, so a friend, so say a family member's friend or a friend's friend was to put on weight, 
you're 25% more likely to put on weight yourself. But if your friends are three degrees of separation, you were still 10% more likely to put weight on. Isn't that staggering? It's not even your immediate circle. That is. So this is what they found because of that influence of friends and your social setting and how we're influenced by the people that we spend most time with. Jim Rohn, the brilliant motivational guru, has that lovely quote, you become the average of the five people you spend most time with. I think there's so much truth in that. And that's, so that was looking at it maybe in a negative way, but I look at it in the other way, right? We've got like that force field that we can put out into the world and go, we're going to put the good vibes out into the world or the good behaviors out into the world because it works both ways, no doubt, with alcohol with and our emotions as well, by the way, positivity versus negativity. We can put that out into the world and have that beautiful impact, of course, not on everyone, but on someone in our network who will then inspire someone in their network who yeah. would inspire, and then on we go. And that's where we create this massive ripple effect, which is really cool. Well, the other thing, and I love that you talk about habit change so much and behavioral change, because that's my approach too. There are so many different approaches, which is amazing to change your relationship with alcohol. But the one I'm attracted to is habit and behavioral change. And you probably know the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. And one of the things I love about that is you were saying in a positive way that, you know, we as human beings want to connect with others. And when you're deciding to change your relationship with alcohol, you probably have a circle of people in your lives who are also drinkers. And you don't necessarily need to break up with them or totally distance yourself from them. Likely they're your spouse, your mother, your sister, your best friend. But you do need to add and supplement your world where the behavior you want to have in your life is celebrated. So, you know, adding people in your life who are also doing the alcohol-free thing, who cheer you on when you hit day seven because it might have been longer than you've gone in five years without drinking or realize that on day 30, you deserve a damn parade and cheer you on when you go to a work happy hour and don't drink or on a business trip. You need that in your life. So you're getting that inspiration and tips and all that good stuff. So powerful that you said that because here's the great truth. This is a solo mission for almost all of us. You know, I look around at my network, everyone drinks. Yeah. It's the truth fit. All my mates, all my family, my wife, they will drink. You know, so when you're making that decision, it's so hard. That's what makes it so difficult. Like I said, because you're looking around almost scratching your head again, going, all of my cultural clues are saying that this thing must be right. like my mom drinks. She's an angel to me. She drinks alcohol. Oh, so my husband, right. all my friends from oh. before, before I stopped drink as well. But I also now have this amazing network of really good friends who yeah. are on the alcohol free path. I have both, you know? Yeah. And that's exactly, that's my story. So that's matured over the years. When I go back 10 years ago, it was a hundred percent. And now I have this beautiful collection of people that don't drink. And even my, in my own network, some of those people that were drinking then don't drink now. So we've had that beautiful positive effect. But what I also think is really important and more so than probably any other genre is online. You know, yes. the dry, like that's what why I ended up creating the dry app, for example, it's really a place to connect to community because most people, when they start this adventure, are just like me and just like you, everyone they know still drinks. So it's really bloody hard because there's no one to, t- no one gets it. 
Yeah. No one really understands it because that's their story and your story is individual to you. And I think there's one, you know, hopefully an insight for everyone that I love from the world of NLP, funny enough. They have a thing called the map is not the territory. And I love this saying. And what that means is everyone has a different map of the world. But we all think through that map, we see the territory, but the territory being reality, no one sees true reality because everything is filtered through our brains, our map of the world, which is our past history, our beliefs, this emotional filters, and then basis that we interpret what we think reality is. And I think that's why it's really important to get that across is because sometimes friends and family members and colleagues, they don't get it. It's not because they're being mean. They're just looking at alcohol through their map of the world. And through their map of the world, it, they might be perfectly happy with their relationship with alcohol. So they can't understand why you wouldn't want to drink yeah. because they're assuming you've got their map. And this is the common mistake that I see. Everyone thinks everyone else has got the same map. We've all got different maps. So I think it allows you a bit of empathy as well for loved ones that don't get it. But equally, go and find your tribe online. That's why these podcasts are brilliant. Like none of this existed when I got into this. I first tried to take a break 10 years ago. I got like four months, then I got pregnant. So I didn't drink for a year. And then I ended up stopping a little over seven years ago. And both 10 years ago, the world was really kind of bleak. Nobody was talking about leaving alcohol behind in a positive, open way. Seven years ago, it was also really limited in terms of what was available. And now I feel like ever, you know, I just in my inbox yesterday, I got six articles like in major publications like Entrepreneur and Women's Health about, you know, the shift in the sober curious world, the bursting, you know, huge explosion of non-alcoholic drinks, how millennials and Gen Zs are really not drinking the way their parents and grandparents are. And it's shifting, you know, finances and what big companies are having to put out in the market. So yeah, 10 years ago, good on you, right? Like it was a yeah. different world. It is. And that's what's so beautiful now. And you, like myself, have seen the evolution of this from no one got it at the start. No one understood that I just wanted to stop drinking because I wanted to perform better in every area of my life. They were like, no, hold on. You must, you've got one of those problems though. How much did you really drink? Yeah. And they want to box you off. And I'm like, no, you're not going to put me in any boxes. I'm just doing this because I'm like where you were. And that was, people couldn't get that. Now they get that, which is great. And the momentum around the alcohol-free drinks industry, the momentum around so many of the sober world, you know, the communities, the apps, the podcasts. But even still, because we are surrounded by it, there is a temptation to think, oh, everyone's got this. And the truth is it's a tiny, incy-wincy fraction of people that have got it. But what is exciting, I think it's at that moment of real acceleration. If you can imagine the flywheel, Jim Collins talks about this in his brilliant business book, Good to Great. And we're pushing up this, we've been pushing this thing up with all our energy and all our might for the last 10 years. And I think we're almost at the top where in a minute it's just going to tip. And when it tips, it's going to have its own momentum. And then, you know, in five, 10 years time, I think, Alcohol will be very reflective of something that looks like smoking. I really believe yeah, that. I Instead agree. People, Whereas people some people will, of course, choose to yeah. smoke, but it won't be like, oh, you're not smoking? What the hell? Do you have a problem with smoking? Everybody be, will be like, good for you, man. Like, yeah. like what? almost why would you? Well, so here's the other thing I want to say about online and community, which is why I love stuff like the Dry app and people on Instagram and TikTok and everybody talking about it in Facebook is... And you're right. It is a very small percent of the population. Once 
the cool thing is once you find it, it's like pulling this thread. You will find more and more. But what I will say is so many more people that you actually know are probably struggling with alcohol or worried about their drinking and trying to moderate and not talking about it. Because I know when I was drinking, the last thing I wanted to do was tell anyone in my current social circle who knew me that I was worried about my drinking because I didn't want to draw any more attention to it than it was. So I was probably the least likely person to talk about it. And yet you go online and you see that so many people just like you are struggling with it. And once I sort of came out of the proverbial closet and like said on Facebook, hey, I'm a year alcohol free and I feel great. You know, I probably have six people I used to work with who have joined my sobriety starter kit and have stopped drinking and are talking to me about it. And they are awesome, but they are the exact people that I used to leave work and drink a bottle of wine with at the local, you know, bar and bitch about our bosses, you know, and be like exactly what you said. That was a great night. That was a great night, you know? Yeah. And we get caught in that loop. And that's why the sober world, the alcohol-free world, and the alcohol-free drinks are getting people thinking differently, aren't they? I think they're feeling now for the first time probably ever, oh, there's options that just didn't exist before. There's options to not drink, and the stigma is starting to fade. It's still there, and again, but I think we're right on that cusp of that flywheel. It was mentioned turning, where it will happen really quickly now. I think in the next two or three years, probably five years, so much information will get out there. All the health information will get out there. There'll be many more groups and communities I really think it's going to happen a lot quicker than people think. It's been one of these things that hasn't done anything for a hundred years. And now I reckon in the next five, it's yeah. going to completely change forever. I, I genuinely it's, believe that. It's still not easy, but I have a client who I think is at like 40 days alcohol free going on her first business trip. Super worried about it. We like did the whole strategy. One of the things she was most worried about is going out to dinner with two colleagues who they don't see each other. They live in different cities. And she texted me that she went to the dinner and was like, oh, I'm taking a break from alcohol for a while, health kick, whatever. One of the other women were like, yeah, I actually stopped drinking five years ago. And she was like, what? You did? The other woman did drink, ordered a glass of wine, but was recommending non-alcoholic beer to them both was like, oh my God, I love Athletic Brewing Company. Have you tried it? And she texted me like, even the drinker was recommending non-alcoholic options. That's the game changer, isn't it? That's the game changer right there. And the amount of people exactly that, their big fear, I've got the big client event, I've got the big lunch, I've got the, and then they turn up and finally pluck up the courage and the other person opposite them goes, what a relief, because actually <laughs> I'm not drinking either. And that, yeah. you know, the other person's probably, and I noticed this again in the world of broken all the time, what would happen if I was the leader of the event and say there were six of us out to lunch. If I ordered an alcoholic drink at the start, this is going back a few years, everyone ordered an alcoholic drink. Of course. Drink, without exception. But then when I stopped drinking and still was in that world, I'd order sparkling water. There wasn't really non-alcoholic drinks then, but just let's just say I'd have sparkling water. I'd say 50% of the table would order a sparkling water. So yeah. what I realized in that moment was that for all of those years, half the table never wanted to drink anyway. Yeah. But they didn't quite have the courage or the confidence to say it. So all they of those wanted people to were... fit in like you were yeah. your boss. I exactly. actually was interviewed by a publication. I'll link to it. But what I love is they were doing a story 
about for an HR publication about how employers can make people who don't drink supported in holiday parties. And one of the things they talked about was obviously serving a non-alcoholic beverage option that is equal to the alcoholic beverage options, not having drinking events at lunch, but also not having the boss be the one inviting people to drinking events or encouraging drinking events. I mean, I used to go to work and after a big win, there were bottles of champagne on everyone's desk who was on the team. And, you know, with so many people not drinking and in this article, they were like, this is the number of employees that likely struggle with alcohol. And this is the number of hours and dollars you are losing in productivity to alcohol. So you're trying to celebrate people by giving them alcohol and you are actually sort of shooting yourself in the foot as an employer. I think it's the worst thing you can possibly do. If you actually look at it, and I know the HR teams, I think, have been unaware of this and they're becoming more aware of it. I worked with a billion dollar company I went in to spend some time with and they were all over it, you know, all over. They had meditation pods. It was like real state of the art and they had mental health first aiders. And I was like, how do you like to get together? And they went, oh, well, brilliant. We've got a bar in the office. So we have Thirsty Tuesdays and Thirsty Thursdays. It's all free. It's Everyone comes down. Yeah, they have a drink. And I'm like looking at them thinking, so I bet your mental health first aid is really busy on a Wednesday and a Friday picking up the pieces from this. And I said, if you understand psychology, if the, let's just say the CEO is there yeah. and she's drinking, right? Let's just say she turns up and she has that drink. What message does that send to the directors? Well, I want to fit in. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be the one that's not in favor with the big boss. I'm going to have a drink. So then all of them are drinking. What message does that send to the managers? Well, I don't want to be left out because all the directors are drinking. I'm going to have a drink. What message does that send to all the line workers? Well, I don't want to be left out. I'm going to have a drink. Yeah. If you think about it, that social pressure just filters down. You've got a whole group of staff drinking. And I'd say 50% of them don't want to drink or are having issues with alcohol. They're all drinking. Their performance is going to get absolutely slammed. They feel socially pressured. Are we doing that makes at, from a business point of view? And I've run lots of businesses now. That has got to be the worst thing you could possibly yeah. do for your business. It's absolutely going to ruin everyone's productivity, their mental health, their emotional health, and put them in a socially pressured environment where they feel I've got to take a drug, which is alcohol. It's not. I mean, like eight years ago, I literally, and this shows like what you were talking about with like, my wife's going to leave me. I literally thought that if I stopped drinking, I would never get promoted. I would be ostracized at work. Like my career would suffer because if I stopped drinking, then people would think I had a problem with alcohol. And then it would be like, whoa, she's got a problem with alcohol. What was hysterical was I was showing up hungover. I would go on business trips, drink way too much, trip and fall in front of my boss on, you know, skin my knee on the way home from dinner. I, you know, would go to events and like share inappropriate stuff or gossip or be toxic about work stuff. And yet I thought if I stopped drinking, like that was the self-sabotage in the office. Yeah, it's crazy. And back to my story, the big boss, my hero saying, you're finished. I ended up growing a business seven times bigger when I left that business to set up a new one in half the time. And the reason that happened, because I was always on the bloody ball. I wasn't losing two or three or more days a week to complete underperformance from 
even a few drinks that had destroyed my sleep or made me a bit anxious and didn't want to pick up the phones and didn't want to do the things that I had to do. And I was a bit hiding away. Suddenly I removed that every single day. It was an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10. So performance in the office accelerated my clients. I built better relationships with them because I was so much better at my job. They yeah. didn't need me to take them out and do all the entertaining and wine and dining because that's all I had in the locker. They actually now wanted to work with me because I was bloody good at what I did yeah. and I was really consistent at what I did. And that was a game changer. And I think that's the thing that people are fearful of, but actually by unlocking your consistency, your health, your authentic self, you're so much more powerful in every domain. And I think especially in industries that are client-led, that people think, oh, it's all about alcohol. I think that's where your superpower makes you stand out the most is the great irony of it. I think that's the they're the best industries to not drink in when everyone else is drinking. Bill Schufelt, who is yeah. the CEO. I don't know if you've had Bill on. I interviewed him. He's amazing. He's, oh, he's lovely, isn't the he? CEO of Athletic Brewing Company, which is huge and exploding. I found it at a professional baseball game. They just are starting to serve it on JetBlue domestic flights as the first non-alcoholic beer option. I am so hoping other airlines are going to take up on that. But yes, so tell me about Phil. So we had this lovely conversation. He was in London and I sat down with him and I've known him right from the start of it all in many ways. I'm sure you have as well because he's actually quite new to it. Like Athletic Bruins only around four years. I mean, I think it's like a billion dollar business. I mean, it's unbelievable. So we were sort of joking about it, but there was truth in it. It was like, well, look, you know, I'm really all into this industry and doesn't drink himself clearly. But he said most of my competitors or other people in the space that are traditional alcohol brands, they're all boozing because that's part of what they do, right? It's their culture because they work in a beer company. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the advantage that's given him in that space is incredible, right? Because he's always on the ball. He's always a 10 out of 10. He's up every day. He's got more energy. He's got more time. And the proof is in the pudding. He's grown a business from scratch in four years. I'm pretty sure I saw that quote somewhere that it's like a, a, close to a billion dollar bit in four years. That's absolutely, I mean, it's amazing. And it shows that the growth of the alcohol-free movement, but again, back to that superpower in a career or an industry of always being on the ball is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, so tell us about what you do about the Dry app. I know you started founding One Year No Beer, your books, like your coaching, all the things. All the things. Yeah. So predominantly what I do now, I haven't stepped down from One Year No Beer in 2019. It's the Dry app. It's got the extra wire. That's a lifestyle alcohol-free brand that has a community that lives on an app, but we have lots of- D-R-Y-Y. D-R-Y-Y. And I love it in there. There's over 10,000 people in there now connecting together. The vibe is so upbeat and positive. It's everything that if you've listened to me, I think, and got that impression, hopefully, that's the vibe that's in there. And I love it. It's a beautiful space with people all over the globe. Loads and loads. We've actually got tons of people from America in there, which is lovely to see because it's beautiful. Like It's a global app. But what I predominantly do alongside that is train coaches, life coaches, executive coaches, business coaches, with the specialism then on top of that of alcohol-free coaching and also train existing coaches in the specialism of alcohol-free coaching. I think many people that come through this experience like me want to give back in some shape or form. And that was me 12 years ago when I took that coach course that I described. It changed my life. So now I feel 12 years on and having had some relative success in the coaching world, I want to share that experience with as many people as possible. I know I can only reach a certain amount of people, but now I can help other people reach more people that are going to create podcasts and apps. And actually, funny enough, dry was started by a guy called Matt Pink, who did that coaching course. And he said, I've got this great idea for an app. And I was like, that sounds bloody brilliant. I'll get involved in it. So you can sort of see how this 
you know, vicariously, we're reaching lots of people and helping lots of people again from, you know, life coaching to business coaching, but also to alcohol free coaching. And I love it. That's what I do predominantly. So my best place to find me is andyramage.com, the website on there. I've got various free workshops. One of them is how to become a coach and love what you do. There's an alcohol free workshop on there. It's all free. Go and check it out. And I'm live pretty much every day on Instagram at Andy Ramage official on Facebook at Andy Ramage official and in the dry app as well. I love it. That's what I've been doing for more or less seven or eight years. So come and check it out and get involved. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on. I've loved this conversation. Yeah. I mean, we could have just done this all night. We'll have to do a round two at some point. Yeah, sure. that would be awesome. Very cool. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.